Hello, beloved listeners. We are back with Octavia's Parables, a podcast where we're reading Octavia E. Butler's classic works one chapter at a time. I am your co-host, Adrian Marie Brown, here with... Toshi Regan. The one and only. And before we jump into the content of chapter 11, which is where we are, Toshi, do you have any announcements? Chapter 11... Yeah, we're we're about to leave 2021, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like already done. That and was we're about to we're about to hit this new year and yeah, and be wonderful, mindful, and careful of each other and yeah. of the earth. We're gonna do our best. We're gonna make a lot of music next year. We'll be releasing a lot of music, and I guess one thing. Makalani is now finally going to get released, so I'm very excited oh, about that. Um, okay, the project good. with Alexis Pauline Gums, and then mm-hmm. um, Beautiful World is going to get released. So I'm excited okay. about that. And then um, wow, somewhere, totally. somewhere in that space and time, we are almost done with this uh, parable of the sower cast, you know, thing. So somewhere in that, that we will be mm. releasing it. Someone has so much music, I actually don't know. <laughs> well, I'm like really 40 songs so it's so yeah, beautiful how does it's it so feel great. to be so prolific it feels great yeah yeah feels I'm, great. I'm, it's like I'm I'm really grateful for my partnerships with you know Bunker Studio John Davis and yeah all of the musicians and all of the people that have um laid their hands on all this music it's like yeah. feels like we're traveling together so i'm really i'm really excited i'm really happy and i'm really grateful and do you feel like you're able to work at the level i want like everything i want to put out like i'm at the pace where it's all coming out it's interesting because um i haven't been like on a record label in a really long time so like yeah this is i've been doing these independent releases and they've been really fun because you just get right to it and you don't have to negotiate your truth and um, and the way that <laughs> yep. people access music now, like if they just go to Bandcamp or if they go someplace else, you know, it's the same relationship. And I think yeah, the places that are, are a little bit harder for me are like how outreach and letting people know that things are happening and stuff like that. That's right. But the mm-hmm. actual like, you know, once you know and you want to go see it, it's it's pretty much the same as if you're on uh-huh. a label. So. That part is complicated, but I think it's a you know twenty first century complication for everybody. It's not unique yeah. to the music business. It's you know if people are in their lives, there's this way where we're all trying to access the things we need, trying to make available the things we have available, and then trying to navigate that with mm-hmm. a lot of ease and clarity. And our economic system is so designed to be corrupt. It's it's a lot of work. <laughs> You're just That's trying right. not That's to right. not to serve the most like horrible situations and you, and the way it is now, you you end up in collaboration sometimes with with entities. You were like, oh, this isn't quite right. But yeah. all right, let me push on and see if I can get past and into another level. That's right. I'm glad that you keep pushing on. I'm glad that you keep creating. It's such a gift for us. Um, oh, thank you. And that you keep collaborating. I'm excited about what's coming in 2022. I also mm-hmm. feel like it's an unleashed year. Like mm-hmm. 
I have three different book projects. The tarot deck is finally going to come. I know it is. And I'm releasing an album related to one of the book projects, which is my first time doing that. Um, The Bingsons are working on it with me and it's really sweet. It's just really exciting to be singing with them. And I'm like, yes. And this isn't so much an announcement. Oh, turtle, relax. Yeah, come on. The turtle is throwing a tantrum. Um, Come (laughs) to the turtle. (laughs) The turtle, well, I just gave them a bath and it's been a while since they had to like had immersive bath. Mm-hmm. which they used to love when they were a kid, but now they're a toddler and they're just like, they're like no. you're not going to put me in no water. <laughs> so now they're there and they're just like, Wah. Um, but I wanted to take a moment because this past week we lost a major, major, major person, yeah. uh, cultural critic, Greg Tate. And I feel like he is someone in the realm of Octavia. To me, mm-hmm. he was someone of wild imagination and wild creativity He was a musician. He was someone who thought about the future and the world in such a sharp and precise but soft Mm -hmm. and loving way. And every interaction I ever had with him, he was just incredibly kind, incredibly gracious, incredibly loving Mm -hmm. and affirming, you know, like affirming of all that was unfolding in Black creative culture and Afrofuturism and all of it. So I just wanted to take a moment and if there's anything you want to say about your friend, Greg. Oh, my God. Greg is like just the truth and the light. And, you know, arriving into New York in the late 80s, you know, you might wonder why, you know, there's such a, a great platform for discussing like who we are and what we do and why there is language and why there is context and why you know, we understand so much about ourselves. And Greg is a huge, huge part of that. He just, he changed, he changed writing. He changed the way that you critique. He changed the way you could critique black folks work and the lens he changed. He made it, he made it really clear what lenses were looking at you and why you were getting told you were doing something you knew you did, you weren't doing. Um, he, he aligned, you know, greatness, like, like, I remember yes. coming up and it was just like, you know, the Beatles are the, the best band that ever happened existed. And I was like, no, they're not like, <laughs> and, you know, they're a good <laughs> band, but man, my God. Yeah. And then Greg's like, you know, public enemy is as important as the Beatles. And, yes. you know, and I, I don't know y'all, y'all go and find some of them, just Google Greg Tate and Village Voice yeah. and Read find the some of those Voice articles yeah. and his books and everything is, it's a, uh, I sometimes don't want to think about dead people like lost, you know, like, like I I lost something. I always think I still have everything they gave me. And I, and I have a hard time with that word loss, but I, I'm really going to miss the way that the, the ongoing conversations that we would be having because of him. I'm, I'm just already in a, a very tender place about that. And then so many of us knew him. The circle and the networking that he did, it, it was immense. It just, yes. just, we were all shocked. And, you know, I know he's, you know, he's off to do his next thing when we down here just crying. Like, that's just yes. going to be some tears for a little while around him. Yeah. 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 I'm glad we can take time. You know, I'm glad we do our own thing so we can take the time we need. But I, 
I want to send out love to all of all of the people. Like there's so many people who he taught, so many people he loved, so many people he co-created with. Yeah. Um, and so many people that he critiqued well and improved. You know, he improved us. Yes. Okay. So here we are in the realm of Octavia E. Butler's Wild Seed. And we're in chapter 11. Anyan Wu, when we last saw her, had left and gone to be a dolphin. She was doing her thing. <laughs> she she left. She flew away and then she dived into the water. Yes. And now what's happening? We're in 1840. <laughs> and uh, this is another big, gigantic chapter. I'm going to try to roll through it. How many but, pages was this chapter? <laughs> I don't know. I called it 572. <laughs> this, this is just the way, you know, I, obviously... It's ancient. It's a whole nother book. But um, but she's in Louisiana, and Doro has finally started to you know locate her, and he's he's been like when he's doing his thing, he's been trying to like find her for a while. But now he now he's done it, and he's very very close, and he's asking you know all of the people in the town like you know who is this, who is that, and they're like Warwick. This man, Edward Warwick, he's the third human Doro had um, found himself drawn toward and was making him feel like he was near Anyanwu. So without giving a million details, he's mourning himself the destruction of his own his own people uh, yeah. because of all the wars and everything. Like his people really, they got killed or they ran away. Um, they went to Canada. They did, you know, everything. And we're not talking about the Civil War. This is like the War of 1812 and, you know, all of the things. And so he's really upset. He had people in Kentucky and Brazil and, and Mexico and these settlements all over the place. And he lost a lot, a lot of people. And then he had to, he tried to get Wheatley back. He had to, to start over and start over and start over, you know, very, very difficult. So, you know, he... He still has his, like, when I see Anyamu, I'm going to kill Anyamu. Like, yeah. so despite, you know, all of those things, he still was like, I'm going to get her. Like, and he's been trying to make this um, other Anyamu. He's like, you know, I'm trying to get somebody closer to Nweke, but he just wants to make an Anyamu. I mean, we know yeah. that's going to be not something he can easily do. And all of the the different you know kinds of people that he's he's created, they might have some certain gifts of hers, but they are not you know they're not grounded, they're not yep. in control. So they they always are doing something dangerous. If they if they healed somebody, they killed somebody else, you know. So they aren't people. Yep. They're not people that he can rely on, and then they die. Yep. So he's like she's just been dragging him around the country where he's where he's trying to find her. And he's thinks he has it and he observes it and he goes away and he comes back. He comes back a little bit like the next day. Uh, he, and I'm skipping all about like where he stayed and all of this stuff. <laughs> this <is> so Fair. Much. <laughs> you know, so he's not actually doing what he said he was going to do. Right. He's like, as soon as I find out where she is, I'm going to go and kill her. But as soon as he finds out where she is, he actually goes away. And like, I don't, I think he goes away to calm himself down and, yeah. um, and get himself together. But he, uh, the next morning he heads out there 
and he's got his horse and he goes to her mansion. And when he gets there, this uh, adolescent boy comes to take his horse and the boy has deformed arms. This is how it is written, deformed arms. And he asks, is your master home? And the boy says, yes, sir. And Doro puts his hand on the boy's shoulder and says, leave the horse here. And then he walks with the boy with his hand on his shoulder, which we all know means that he is Mm -hmm. setting up to do some kind of battle. And he's asking, you know, questions. What happened to to your arms? Trying to get some information. And what we find out is that this kid had an accident, but like, He's waiting for his arms. They're growing back. Yes. And so now we know this is like He's like, growing them. He's right. growing them himself. And yeah. so this is one of Anyamwu's sons. And not only that, but he knows who Doro is. And he has some gifts as a healer. He can't change shape. He's also very grounded. Like he's not like wild and out of control. So Doro's very interested in him, then starts to ask him questions. Well, who is your father? And he's like, you know, he died and he can't take anymore. He's like, you know, well, where is Anyanwu? And he's like, well, she's here. So she's been chilling as a, a giant black dog <laughs> and, you know, listening to all of this. And then she reveals herself and she takes her time doing it and then invites him into the house. And the boy's name is Steven. And the house is beautiful. And the boy is actually dressed in dirty clothes and like keeping in with the times because we are still in the time of slavery. And so this is a household that has a white slave master and these all of these like black people. So that is what she's negotiating. He is not like, you know, jumping to kill her, but Anyanwu doesn't know what's going on. And so he notices, but he's he's doing that thing he does. There's somebody comes and brings some refreshment. He is like, who's that? You know, what can she do? <laughs> you know, and he's like, she can have babies. And he's like, well, she should be bred with um, a relative, a very close relative. Like, so it's all, Ugh. it's all Doro, everything. The son, Stephen, is letting him know that Anyanwu, he knows about him because he enslaved Anyanwu. And he's like, I never enslaved her. And he was like, well, she she thinks you did. So she has this brilliant, beautiful, brave um, son. And mm-hmm. she is, she's getting dressed and she's trying to figure out like what she's going to wear. So she got dressed quickly as a man because being in the body of a dog really made her like want to be free. Mm-hmm. But she's thinking a lot about it. She's worried about Steven. She's worried about everything. She wonders if he's going to kill her. She says, Doro would break Steven into pieces if she ran now. He would probably not kill him, but he would make him a slave. So she's she's having just stirring in herself. Could she run? Could mm-hmm. she not run? And she's going over like the ways that she thought about leaving the first time and mm-hmm. what, what her process was around that. And she comes to the conclusion, what can she do? She could not run again and leave him, Stephen, and the others. But she was no more able to help them by staying than she had been able to help her children in Wheatley. So mm-hmm. it feels it feels uh, like pretty hopeless. And she's just thinking, will he kill her? Yeah. So she comes down. She sends Stephen to his work. And this is like... The most of this is just like the negotiation. That's right. I just wrote down 
um, battle for freedom. You know, like that's what this is. Mm -hmm. It's the battle for freedom. But it starts off, he's clearly not going to kill her like right away. So it starts off the soft, you know, uh, seduction of negotiation. Because what he realizes that is that Anyangwu, in a very short amount of time, has kind of been more successful than him. That she's, her whole situation and the way that she's doing it has actually made her have a a better community than he ever has had. Of course, he doesn't reflect on this in in terms of like substance, like why why would her Mm -hmm. community be better and more successful? But let me move on. So (laughs) we learn... We learn about mm-hmm. we learn about um, Stephen's dad, and um, she bought him in New Orleans. She says that she was thinking, and she was walking, and she saw that there was somebody leading a group of enslaved people um, who mm-hmm. had arrived. And she was thinking, I have to take more sunken gold from the sea, then see the banker about buying the land that uh, adjoins mine. I have to buy some books, some medical books. And she's just going on, you know, to do this. And he basically was like, are you not going to see me? You're just going to walk by? You're going to let them take me like this? And mm-hmm. um, she realizes that he could see who she was and knew who she was. And so she she bought him. And he didn't he didn't live long. He was like Thomas. He could hear too much. He didn't have great control over it. But being on the journey of the slave ship was completely overwhelming. And so his whole self didn't make it back. Um, So once he had his son, his child, he um, was happy and in celebration and was like, yay, I did it pretty much. And then like was like, I'm out. So Mm -hmm. so this is this is all very interesting to Doro. And this leads to a discussion about um, Stephen and his gifts. And Doro in his sense of breeding and Doro in his sense of time and Doro and what he would like to see happen with whole communities. It's so good. You have to read all of this like it's every line is is winning. The battle is deep. And one of the things that she really is trying to like illuminate, um, I think, for herself as much as for Doro is just how abusive he is. And so, Mm -hmm. like, you know, even when Isaac died, she was really upset. You know, she had this child with Isaac and this child was like one year old. And because Dora was so angry with her, he got her pregnant, like, Mm -hmm. you know, right away. And she just found it all abusive and all awful. And so she is like negotiating. And at the same time, she's just dealing with her intense anger with this being who is is so violent and disruptive. So she ends up having to tell him information about her people. She tells him that Stephen is 19 years old and he is ready to like breed Stephen. He is like, next week, let's take him on tour basically. And she's like, no, she's like, that's not good. You know, you're just going to make like not good people doing that. Um, You will make an animal of him if if you do that. She says, haven't you seen the men, uh, slaves in this country who are used for breeding? They are never permitted to learn what it means to be a man. They are not permitted to care for their children. Among my people, children are wealth. 
they are better than money, better than anything. But to these mm -hmm. men, warped and twisted by their masters, children are almost nothing. So she just actually doesn't want that for anybody, but definitely not for her son. He also just is like, you know, I don't know if anybody ever came up in your house and started looking at your things and you just wanted mm -hmm. to get them out your house as soon as possible. And they asking mm -hmm. you questions they shouldn't be asking. And this is Doro um, just times 2000. So he sees a picture of Anyamu's wife and then he wants to know about the wife. And mm -hmm. um, when she says her wife, uh, Denise, sees ghosts, Doro doesn't like that. He's just like, no, ghosts. Oh, that's terrible. Like, why would you, you know? And yes. um, and she's like, well, you know, she would have been put in an asylum eventually. So, you know, Anyamu just like goes towards it. She's a nice person. She needed help. And, you know, we had a vibe. And I was like, just be my wife and we're going to do what we're going to do. And it's funny that Doro is like, ghost, oh, my God. And she points out that he's ghost like himself. She yeah. points out like, she's like, well, you know, you don't really have a body. Like you're, you know, yeah. this ever living spirit just roaming around in other people and doing what you do mm -hmm. you know and there's this part where she is just like what is the plan like what do you want to do and mm -hmm. he's like I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about you and your potential value to me and then he's looking at the portrait you were right you know I came here to finish old business to kill you and take your children to one of my settlements no one has ever done what you did to me. I ran from you and lived. She's like, other people have done that. And he's like, only because I choose to let them live. They had their freedom for only a few days before I caught them. So he's like, but now, a century after I lost you, I find you young and well and greeting me as though we had just seen each other yesterday. And I find you in competition with me and raising witches of your own. She's like, there is no competition. He's like, then why have you surrounded yourself with the kinds of people I seek out? Why do you have children with them? Mm -hmm. This leads to a place where Doro just needs Anyamu to be like him. Like he's, yes. he's trying to frame yes. what she does as like the same as what he does. And she's like, well, I'm a healer. And he's like, well, you're, you know, you're having kids with your patients. And she's like, Every healer does what they want to do. People do what they do. No, you <laughs> know you don't understand, um, which he really doesn't. She's like, you know, we need each other. Like, mm -hmm. we have to be together. Look at all of us and our skills, and we have to have our togetherness, and I can help them. She really marks it out as, like, the first part was where he was being nice and was kind of like, but will you tell me this and will you tell me that? Now that she's like, no, I need to know what our terms are going to be. How are we going to do this? Let's get down to it. The energy starts to heat up a little bit. And he wants to know more about Denise. He asks her all kinds of questions. Why does she marry you? He's very interested in how they had kids. So yeah. this is kind of a, a cool thing. Um, mm -hmm. She's like, I realized I could give her girls. It took her a long time to understand all that I could do. But... She thought the children would be black and people would say that she had been with a slave, which would be really bad for her as a white mm -hmm. woman and mm -hmm. bad for everybody like this. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know what that is. So, you know, they actually have a, a little thing where they're like white women must be protected whether they um, want to be or not. 
So Doro says this. So everybody's woke to the position of white women inside of the system. And uh-huh. um, and Denise said, you know, she, she felt like property, like a slave plotting escapes. And so once she found out she could give her children who were not related to Anyanwu, then mm-hmm. they know they could do it. This leads to where everything shifts even into a, a higher zone. So, mm-hmm. you know, Doro is like, well, then this is it. Yeah. I'll leave Stephen, you know, and I'll take you. You know, yeah. you can be the person. You can go and be mm-hmm. the man breeder. You can go yeah. take care of this. And <laughs> it's like, that's what I want anyway. You got the good Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. And she is also over him. You know, she yeah. basically calls him like a dumbass to his face. Mm-hmm. And she gets up. And she walks out the house and she goes to Louisa, who we actually learn a little bit more about. She goes to Louisa and she tells, she says, look, y'all need to stay out in the fields. Tell everybody, don't come to this house. Just stay out in the fields and don't come until I call you. And Louisa being like brilliant says, well, you know, what if he calls us in your, in your body, in your voice? Yeah. And she's like, y'all make whatever decision you need to. Like, if you want to run right now, run. You yeah. know, she's like, go. I can't guarantee anything. She's like, this is not, that's not going to work. You know? Yep. And she goes back to him. She's she's like, that's not going to work. So she proposes that um, he bring, like, some people for her kids to marry. Uh, she's like, bring, I have the, the daughter, you know, bring her husband. If she likes him, they can get married. You have Stephen bring one wife, not 17, you know, yep. then they like each other. They can get married. And then she goes on and tells him, like, you have my descendants, like, bring them. If there's somebody who's like needs extra help, you can bring them and I will I will care for them. And she makes this whole like wide, super much better plan than his, like, mm-hmm. you know, and she really tells him, like, it's it's beautifully written how she lets him know how, you know, small-sighted he is. Like, that he has no vision. Yes. And because he's so obsessed with his power and his control, he can't see the way that she does. So it comes down to that he accepts this idea, but he also is kind of laughing, you know, at her. Because he's like, you have no idea the creatures I've made. So you have no idea what you've agreed to. Like, it's scary because you just realize, like, you know, heart context for difficult people is one thing. But in a 100 years, that context is is completely changed. And Doro's been doing wild things. He's really kind of happy. And he's just full of joy because now he can, like, he has Anyanwu. He has Anyanwu's people. And then he has like somebody to take care of these people that nobody could deal with. And he has her agreement in it. And he goes walking with her through the fields and they come up into some of the, um, you know, repurposed slave cabins because she, she does not have any slaves people. She did not enslave people. She bought them and then they can live with her and they can be on the land. They make their own decisions. But, you know, they come upon a cabin, he opens the door, he looks in, he sees what it is, and it's, you know, it looks homey and comfortable. And then he wants to get down. He wants to take her into the cabin, and she's like, no, 
because she's a woman of grace. She's like, this is somebody else's home and we can go to the house. And because he is who he is, he wants to do something wrong at all times. So he is like, nope, like I want to be here. And he wants to basically go back in time to when he first met her. He doesn't want to be in the fancy house. He wants to be in a place that energetically resembles the first place that he met her. And so that's what they do. She makes him some food. And at the end of this chapter, she says he was making a new Wheatley. He had settlements everywhere, families everywhere. She had only one and he was taking it. He had taken her from one people and driven her from another. And now he was casually reaching out to strip her of a third. And she was wrong. She could live on and on and have nothing. She would, he would see to it. And that is chapter 11. Yeah. It's a heartbreaking chapter. It's so heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking chapter, really. You know, it feels like such a cycle. Like, you know, when you recognize like there's some patterns in your life that cycle and cycle and cycle mm-hmm. and it's just like he is the pattern in her life that cycles and cycles it's like that's right there's not a direct way to just walk away or turn away there's not a boundary to set it's like you have to figure out how do i surrender and keep myself so there's some questions i have <laughs> about anyanwu in this i have a lot of questions for everything but my first couple of questions here are really about the decisions that Anyanwu is making and and trying to understand them. So I want us to think about and reflect on why do we think Anyanwu returned to the U.S.? You know, I feel fairly compassionate about why she returned to being a human after all this time. You know, Mm -hmm. I I feel like that desire to return to that home base experience I get it, you know, but I do always have that question. Like, why did you return to the U.S. though, you know, to the South, to a place that feels like it was within closer reach of him, you know? Mm -hmm. And what do we make of Anyanwu's need to reproduce more humans? Mm -hmm. Like in spite of the danger, in spite of the way that that makes her, it's kind of like that expands her signal in the world and makes it easier for her to be found. And it gives something to him to negotiate with, right? Mm-hmm. And yet she she keeps reproducing, you know? Mm-hmm. She keeps um, wanting to build a family as well, right? So really reflect for yourself on those aspects of Anyanwu. Are they flaws or weaknesses? Are they decisions that make sense to you? And as you're thinking about it, Ask yourself those questions too. <laughs> Why do you stay in the U.S. <laughs> when we're hunted here? You know, Why do you keep reproducing humans <laughs> when mm-hmm. we know the danger? Just, you know, ask. The third question is this one about how Doro is always trying to recreate on Yanwu. And I think uh, the question I, I have is, why do we think we can recreate that which is one of a kind? Mm-hmm. And that which we don't necessarily understand. You know, this feels like one of the most human aspects of Doro, actually, is that when we see something outstanding and incredible and abundant and amazing, like, how do I redo that, synthesize that? And 
I feel like on Yanwu in this case is like the earth, you know, it's like she is a whole earth. She is something outstanding and completely unique and can provide for and heal and, and do everything just like this earth can. And instead of just being like, great, we have this, you know, mm -hmm. we're like, let's go find another one or let's go terraform Mars or let's go create something, you know, it's like rather than actually being in a sacred relationship with this one. So right. what is that in us? Then on a time level, this story, I remember the first time I read this and I had studied slavery, but I felt like in the reading of this, it did something to my timeline of slavery. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask our readers if that is happening. Does this story expand your sense of the felt timeline of slavery? That he's gone, found this person, brought them to the U.S. in the midst of slavery. And then she has gone away from him for an entire century. The children that they've created, the grandchildren that they've created. I mean, she lived there long enough for Isaac to grow old and die. and then, you know, went on this whole journey, comes back and and like they're still in the middle of slavery. Like it's not, we're not even close to the civil war yet, you know? So just what does it do to your sense of what it looked like to live many generations inside of slavery and how people were surviving that? And not yeah. surviving that. I love that question. I tried, I did a show, you know, during Black History Month for kids and I tried to get like, how long is time? So I would be like, how long is 10 years? And then I would be like, like, That's here, right. let's get our hands up. And like, how long is 10 years? How long is 50 years? How oh, long is 100 yeah. years? How long is, you know, and they were just like making their hands wider and wider. Mm -hmm. And and I really, I really love that because I, I think about the state that we're in now and the mm -hmm. systems that we um, allow to survive. And, you know, they they'll have a beginning and they'll have an ending these destructive mm -hmm. systems, but they will last for a very, very long time and they yeah. seed something else. So it's like, you know, we're like right. after hundreds of years, you like pull it, you're like, no, this is illegal. And now you can't, you're not supposed to do it, but they seed it like all these other things. Um, right. So just to really think about where we were like swooped up in the system and, and it connects to your, why are we in the U.S.? question yeah. <laughs> as well <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and i really appreciate that anyanwu and doro are people who can be on both sides of the experience of the period of slavery that they're both people where they get to experience what it is to be white and experience what it is to yeah. be black experience what it is to create children who are both free and not free mm -hmm. and and seeing the different ways they're approaching it. Like they're such fundamental opposites in how they're approaching it. Right. So then this question, which is in part, you know, I think about Thomas and I think about all these characters who are able to read minds in some way mm. and how it drives them mad. Like over and over again, we see it being something that overwhelms people. And then Stephen is able to finally kind of navigate it, be in some control with it, but just beginning, just barely. Mm -hmm. And I want our readers to sit and think about this. It's like, do you think there is a way to read minds that doesn't drive one out of their own? I'm in an interesting moment right now because one of my nibblings 
is very committed to the idea of mind reading being the superpower that Mm -hmm. they need to develop. (laughs) And I see the reasons why. And I'm like, but no, we would, you know, it's like, it's very difficult to land, to just be able to carry what is in your own mind and trying to also carry what is in other people's minds, Mm -hmm. you know, can be very overwhelming, I think. So I'd love to, you know, I'd love to hear what listeners think about that. You can tweet about it, but I'm like, what's the way? And then, this battle that's happening about the kind of person Anyanwu is relative to Doro, I'm so moved by this every time. The question I think I have here is, have you ever experienced someone, especially someone shady or power hungry, <laughs> trying to reduce you by saying you're like them? Mm, right? Because I have. Because <laughs> I have deeply had people tell me that I was vying for power when you know i was like uh, yeah collective power <laughs> you know i'm not trying to fight you <laughs> like i've been through cycles of this and and i i always think of it as at the individual level it's what capitalism is up to at the collective and global level right mm-hmm. which is like i can co-opt you i can co-opt anything you know and how did you respond how did you stay in your dignity how did you remember who you are Anyanwu feels so rooted in I am not you. Yeah. And what I'm trying to do is not what you are trying to do. I'm negotiating to keep myself and these people alive, which is why I'm dealing with you, you know. But yeah, think about that. Like who does that in your life or who has done that to you? And Mm. what were they up to? You know, was it to grow themselves? Was it to take you down? Was it an act of corruption or cooptation? You know, who wins if they're right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think the last question I have for this chapter, there's so much that happens here, but I think the last big question I have is, do you feel like you understand what Anyanwu is up to? Right? Because mm-hmm. she's up to something. Yeah. And do you understand, like, why is Anyanwu so honest with Doro about yeah. her powers and what she's been learning? knowing how he works, knowing his breeder tendencies, you know, what is it that she is trying to do, trying to move, trying to be, trying to protect? Like, what is Anyamu up to? It's so deep. I love that because I have notes on my page. Why are you telling him everything? <laughs> that's that's always, a, I'm like, girl, stop talking. You know, it's like, you don't have Why to tell him tell anything. Him You don't have to tell him anything, but it's like she, where she's sitting, she's like, there's something in her that's like, I have to tell him and I have to sleep with him and I have to do, you know, like I have to make this offer to him. There's so much here that is, it reminds me so much of when Lauren Olamina and her crew were in Camp Christian. Mm -hmm. And there was that, there's that period of like, how do you strategize when you are technically and actually in a position where the person you're dealing with has the life or death power over you and the people, your people, right? Then what does strategy look like? And what does strategy look like when you actually have more more room to maneuver? And it's interesting to me because I think a lot of times we reflect on strategies of the past without understanding that people were in life or death scenarios and trying to negotiate them and what we can look back and see with hindsight is very different from what people could see in that moment, in mm-hmm. that setting, without Wi-Fi, without networks that could easily communicate to each other with just the information that was available 
on that plantation or in that town, right? Mm -hmm. And it feels important because I don't think we always keep in mind that we're in life or death scenarios now. And I don't think we always negotiate with the right gravitas, you know, that it's like, oh, where can we push? Where can we burst open things? But also, Mm -hmm. you know, who's, who's paying the cost? Who's right. paying the cost inside of those negotiations? And I, I just think the un- integrity that Anyanwu moves with, that it's like, if you're going to take anyone, take me always. It's always been that for her. She's like, have me. Leave my people be. Let them be, you know? Yeah. But in this case, I'm like, everything you're telling him is going to m- want to make him stay with you, <laughs> come mm-hmm. to you, stay with you, breed you, have more of you. So, Yeah. It's so interesting. I was thinking about this, um, you know, idea of visioning past the condition that's right near you. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when you, like, if you if this is a game and you can already see, like, that that this move's going to lead here, this move's going to lead here, this move's, then that's right. you can jump over all of it. You can just that's get right. to the, like, uh, to me, she's like, I'm jumping over yeah. all of this and I'm getting to an end thing. That yes. for this particular section and I'm, you know, or is the song I love, believe I'll run on, see what the end's going to be. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a great song. It's have. a great song. Sweet honey <laughs> and rock. And, but it is that idea of technology of like moving into the thing and seeing what the end's going to be because you, you actually know so much, you know, she knows so yeah. much. So she's not going to, yeah. she's not going to play around. And the one thing she knows is he can kill her at any time. Yep. You know, so she's in, in a navigating place and she's going to jump over a bunch of things because one of the yes. things that's going to make her safe is him finding her a value. That's right. So she's like, yeah, that's right. I can do this and I can do that. And I got this and I got that. And then look what mm-hmm. I, I made all this money. And I got this. Da, 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 da. It's like, I got it. I got this. I so, got it. I know ooh. how to do this. And you want to know how. So come on. Come on yeah. through. But what is she? What is she leading him to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I really think that this, you know, just keep paying attention because I do think this is one of the places where. Like how to say this without spoilers. I think that ultimately, in the longest run, the seed that will become a transformation <laughs> is planted mm. in this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's gonna take us a while to get to <laughs> the yeah. harvest of it, but it'll yeah, come. Yeah. Uh Anyanwu. You know, I, I before we wrap up, I just have to say having Anyanwu in my heart and attention right now is actually so helpful. Mm. I have been struggling to move through this period more than I expected and more than I have in a while. Mm-hmm. And having on Yanwu on deck and in conversation is so helpful because I'm just like, okay, I'm struggling. And how can I drop in and feel for what's happening within me? You know, where is the wound and what does the wound need? If the wound is in my spirit, yeah, in my heart and my mind. And Anyanwu was just there, like, yeah, you can listen. And when you listen well enough, you can heal. You know, it's just helpful right now. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So thanks, Octavia. Octavia's Parables is hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and Toshi Regan. Our producer is Kat Aaron. 
Our show art is from Krista Franklin, and we're transcribed by Jess Pinkham. You can find us on Twitter at OParables. I promise in the new year I will get our Instagram going. I'm on a social media break right now, but I'm going to do it. And you can become a patron at patreon.com slash oparables. I wonder if we should consider merch next year. Yeah, yeah. Some, something cute. Okay, Hoodie. let's think about it. Hoodie, <laughs> something real, yeah, something like, okay. And transcripts for all of our episodes along with the episodes themselves are always at readingoctavia.com. A music for Octavia's Parables is You Don't Know the Time, written and performed by Toshi Regan. The Silver Song, written by Bernice Johnson Regan and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, Memorial Hall, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. All right. I love you. Love you. We'll see y'all next time. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Bye. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed.